he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 37 of the Bolotified podcast, your one and only podcast about event entertainment and engagement, a kind of backstage pass to the world of events, if you will. I'm Anthony Bolotta, and I'm here as I am every week with my good friend and number one Bolotophile, Alex Apostolides. Hello, Alex. Hello, Anthony. It's always such a pleasure to connect with you, always. Ah, thanks. Same, same. Likewise. Thank you. I like hearing that. Thank you. So uh, here we are on this Monday. And uh, just a quick update on what I'm hearing in the world of events. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I'm not seeing a lot of hybrid happening. What I'm seeing is uh, people are either going fully live and in person or they're still online uh, virtually. I, I'm not getting a lot of asks for both, although I still think that maybe that's to come you know i'm feeling more and more that people are just a bit too reactive and not visionary not thinking ahead enough you know because what happens is you start planning and you do bring these things up you know you ask your clients if they're interested at all in hybrid if they want to have a virtual arm and they're very quick to give you an answer which makes you think as you know somebody who's in the in the business that they've thought about it they've given it a lot of thought and they've decided after lots and lots of conversation that they're not going to do it but then what happens the phenomenon is that you get closer closer and closer to the event and people start rethinking that decision and suddenly want to know what it's going to take and cost and at that point it's almost too much of an afterthought. We're not in the world anymore where it's okay just to put a camera up and stream something. You, we're in a place now where if you're going to have a virtual event or a hybrid event, you must focus on those virtual attendees as an, an audience, separate to the live and in-person audience. And I have a feeling we're going to be um, singing this from the hilltops for the next 10 years you know because again people are just so reactive and they're it's it's so hard to really forecast and we're we're almost it's penny wise pound foolish you know you know Mm -hmm. that you know that expression right we, we almost tend to do that because we're trying so 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 hard not to spend overspend and at the end of the day that's what happens typically because because of these sort of knee-jerk reactions and the inability to forecast especially now having a conversation with a with our latitude client on friday you know they're still concerned about getting numbers in seats getting people in seats and it's interesting because i feel though that it's an opportune time to get people in seats because from what i'm seeing myself people are ready to get out and because the the government is saying it's safe to do so people feel safe to do so whether or not it is they feel safe to do so so it's happening 
So I'm not, I just think we have to get the message out. We, you know, we're open for business. Come register today. Let's make this happen. And we need to do it locally as well. Yes. Um, so that, because I think people are looking for that. And the longer we wait, the harder it's going to be to get that audience because now they've checked, they've selected other things to do mm -hmm. with their time. So, uh, and on the other hand, I just um, had a great call with two, uh, two gals I had not met before, uh, Summer and Ashley, with a, a company called Joy Experience. Uh, they're meeting planners, they're event planners, and uh, they are looking for a bid on a virtual awards for a company here in town in San Diego, because that group is not ready to go live. And uh, the, the planners are 1000% in my mind, correct, by pushing them to do this virtually so that they're not losing contact with their people and doing the awards in this way, not ideal as we know, but at least acknowledging those who hit their targets because it's not okay to say, oh, well, COVID happened. No. It's not, yeah. people, people need it more than ever. If you wanna kill people's uh, spirit, then go ahead and take that approach. But if you care yeah. about your employees and you wanna make sure they're happy and they're vested and they, they want to remain a, a part of your company, then I say, you make it happen by doing the right thing. Right, right, acknowledge them some way, let them know that I think it adds, an extra layer of specialness if it's like, well, we can't do what we've always done, but we still really, it's important for us to acknowledge you. So we're going to find a way. Yes. And then, it, wow, you know. Yeah, because what's going on in their minds, likely, is, well, this is a, you know, big year. I won this award and COVID kind of screwed it all up. And I'm not going to get the same thing that, you know, we, we, we would have gotten any other year. And that's really sad. And yeah, I get it. It's COVID, but God, it would be nice to get something, you know, I mean, it kind of would be and God, nothing really happened. And oh, gosh, it's next year now. And it's like, I never even won the award last year, you know. So it's just important, because that's what's going through that person's mind, the awardee's mind, not and, and that's without judgment, because we would all do that. Right? I mean, right. if you work hard, for that kind of acknowledgement that you want it. Right? Absolutely. So I have clients that are doing that. They're going to uh, acknowledge a couple of the things that I'm writing now. We're going to acknowledge 2020 winners and 2021 events, which is the right way to do it. Of course, we can't do it in the way that we would, nor would normally have done it, giving it as much time because now we have new honorees, but we're giving them recognition and we'll do it in a respectful manner that makes them feel appreciated. So, yeah, so it's interesting that we're all in sort of this different space right now. And, uh, you know, everyone's handling their events differently in the way that they see fit. Very yeah. interesting. Uh, we have somebody on today, so we don't want to waste any time because I think she's already here and she is just a phenomenon, you know, has been a mover and shaker in the industry for a long time. So Alex, don't want to step on your thunder. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, so yeah, our guest today is the founder of PRA. 
which is a company she started, I love this, on April Fool's Day in 1981. Um, and she was the first to franchise her business. She franchised in 1994 and has run one of the most successful DMCs in the entire world. Truly phenomenal. Uh, she also, oh, you'll love this. She helped to create the SDSU Hospitality and Tourism Management Program, which is now a college in the university. And she's just received so many accolades and awards, including the Special Event Magazine's Lifetime Achievement Award and an honorary doctorate of human letters, humane letters from SDSU. So please, let's welcome the wonderful Patty Roscoe. Hello, Patty. So Patty, thank you for being here. I. I'm so excited to have you on this program. And uh, it's just a delight to know you and uh, to have worked for you and your company. And I just feel so honored that you're here. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, this is very exciting for me. I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, you know, you, as far as I'm concerned, you're a pioneer. I mean, you, you, you not only started a business, you helped to grow an industry. Uh, you, you, you were never the type of business person who, you know, hung their, their uh, shingle up and said, okay, I'm going away for the week or, uh, okay, it's five o'clock. I'm out of here. You know, as you know, that's not possible, but you put so much in over and above. Why, why, what's, why is it so important to make sure we, you know, we have professionalism, education. I think it started when I first moved to San Diego and I went to work at the then Vacation Village Hotel for an amazing man named Martin Blatt. And Martin wasn't a hotelier and I had come from Buffalo with a broadcasting background. So neither one of us knew what we were doing, but I was his secretary and we were going to run this hotel for a man who owned it, who was a Hollywood producer. So I grew up in the business, learning the business from other people. Martin was head of the chamber. He was president of Hotel Motel Association. He was in the Restaurant Association. So he believed in giving back to the community as well as running a very good operation, treating people well in his employ. And uh, I, I was weaned on that kind of thinking. And so it evolved into the kind of boss um, and partner with my employees that I felt I was. And for the most part, they, they agree. Not mm -hmm. all employees can agree because there are some challenges in Always. running a business. But yeah, that's, that's the kind of long answer. They uh, that you still keep in touch with a lot of the PRA uh, employees, don't you? Actually, yes. Just April 1st was mm -hmm. the 40th anniversary of the company, which I can't even begin to believe. And we originally had our offices in the Frost family mansion, which is a big home on Broadway between 24th and 25th with a yawning porch, a wonderful porch. And the team had uh, a porch party, even though the company had moved to Chicago and the building was completely empty. We had a porch party. <laughs> That's great. And I got to see many people who were there at the very beginning, some who came in from out of town. 
And it, it's, uh, it's a wonderful legacy. And I can't say anything more because I will get very weepy, but mm. it, it, uh, it was a great ride, I think. Well, you, you were the first to, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but you're the first to franchise a DMC, at least nationally. Yes, I was actually the second service industry ever behind H&R Block to, to franchise a service industry. Everything oh, else was hamburgers or, right. or mufflers or whatever. And so the um, Franchise Association and I forged this together because they, they only had one example and it was completely different from the kind of services I offered but we did that and as a result now there are many franchise service industries. Wow so you became sort of the case that everybody has modeled their own businesses service businesses. From a franchising standpoint standpoint. exactly and And it I will say owning a business and running a business is one thing franchising it is something completely different. And I ended up with 19 offices nationwide and the ability to franchise in Canada. And that meant I had five offices, but all the rest were owners who had their own way of thinking and wanted to do things their own way. And I had a brand to protect. That's correct, right. A lot of oversight needed. (laughs) You worked a lot of work. And you had a you had a team dedicated to the franchise solely for that purpose. Because, yes, I right? actually yes, because I again it was new territory for me. So I hired a woman named Laura Rednauer who had been in the franchising business, and she helped us. And then I promoted uh, one of my longtime employees, Sherry, Sherry Millman, to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, product development and to ensure the brand was the way we wanted it nationwide. And it was a challenge. And I think for the most part, we, we did a pretty good job according you, to our clients. Well, that's all that matters, yeah. right? As long as they keep coming back. That's right. It sort of opened the door when you say for the DMC, local DMCs to open in other cities to have footprints in other cities, which is which became more common practice. There were companies that had offices in other other than San Diego, San Diego companies. Um, Phil Lee had offices and he he had a DMC, the first mm-hmm. one, I think, in town, destination management company, DMC. And he was, I believe, in Palm Springs first and but we were the pioneers. We were the pioneers in having an office and then expanding that office with the same kind of service that our clients expected into other de- destinations, some very different. San Diego, New York, Texas, mm-hmm. <laughs> New Orleans, mm-hmm. San Francisco. Mm-hmm. They have such different cultures and different offerings. And yet our clients expected that same service. They wanted mm-hmm. the same type of proposals that looked, looked like they're used to. Mm-hmm. And so I had to convince other owners that they had to do it a certain way in order to keep the client base. Because there would be value in doing it that way mm-hmm. as proven. 
by you and the original PRA offices, which is so hard for people to sort of get. That's why the franchise is valuable, you know? So you could always start a business if you want to do things your way. But when you buy a brand, it's important to recognize that there is a brand at stake. And, you know, that reputation is what's at stake. And you buy into that because there's value in that. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, if you're buying into something that's successful and you see yourself being at being able to add on to that success, why would you want to work against it? I think the major reason is that I often bought smaller companies like mine and other destinations who had already been in business and had a way of doing things. Uh, And all of a sudden, they had to do things my way. The offices that I opened that didn't have a destination management company in them were easy because the owners just were like sponges. They absorbed everything we did. But when you've already run an operation for 10 years, 15 years, um, it's hard to say, okay, I'm going to change the way I'm doing business because I have this brand now. Yeah, let's peel back that onion again and see if we can (laughs) change the flavor, right? Exactly. I I was going to ask you if when you started the Safari and Tours office in San Diego, if in fact you were the first DMC to come to town, but I think you just said Phil Lee was the Mm -hmm. first DMC here in town. Yes. Yes, Phil, I believe it was California Leisure. This is going back to California Leisure. Yes. California Leisure. And... I was working at the Islandia at the front desk at the time before it was a Hyatt. And this company came into town that was a destination management company. Well, Phil didn't call his company that. He he called it something else. I can't remember. But these, the two gentlemen came in. They were Americans living in Rio. And they had destination management companies throughout Brazil. And again, I didn't know what that was. I knew certainly Cal Leisure and I think um, Enjoy California might've been around then, but all of a sudden this was something new. And and this gentleman had this little office at the Alandia and he got to know me and they didn't know anyone in San Diego. And when you have a company like I, destination management company, you have to know everybody, all the suppliers, you have to know all the hoteliers, you just have to know everyone because what you're doing is offering the city as a destination to corporate groups or association groups and what can be done here. And so they hired me to be their San Diego person. And actually they flew me down to Rio (laughs) (laughs) and to look at their operation there, which was amazing. It really was. And then I came back here and I had to start up and, started from scratch literally (laughs) i remember the name the brand safaris uh back in the 80s when i was in miami i remember that that name as being the you know the big dmc they're no longer around are they do you know if they are i don't really know i left when when i i had clients that uh, when I had worked for safaris for a while in this in San Diego said to me you really need to start your own your own business we like the way you do things and you're not doing them the way 
in any event, I spun off on my own with an SBA loan as a single single woman, uh, underprivileged minority. That's what females were called then. Mm -hmm. And I remember the manager at the Bank of America in Point Loma, where I had my tiny little bank account, um, asked me what I was going to do. And I said I was going to start this company and I needed a $10,000 swing loan because the, San, the SBA, the Small Business Association from whom I was borrowing 90,000 needed this 10,000 mm. that was my own money. Well, I didn't have but $10 in the bank. And I remember he said, because of the way I handled my account for so many years that he would give me a 90 day swing loan. And it wow. took me that long to get the SBA money. And then the rest is history. That's great. You built an empire. I actually wanted to ask you that because uh, I was floored and, and so impressed reading the information that you sent. And I think back to 1981 and it was different for women then. And wow, I mean, that that was a lot of chutzpah to do what you did back then, a single woman and kind of entering into a man's world. I'd love to hear how you ventured into all this. Much of it has to do with my upbringing. I was a, an only child. Um, my father was a huge sports fan, anything. In fact, I can guess I can say this now, Kate, because he, so many years later, but he was a bookie. <laughs> and he, <laughs> I learned about sports from a lot of different angles. And I got to, in those days, go to the local games and understand the local race track and all of the different sports and what's, what it meant to people um, who really, in those days, didn't have a lot to look forward to. Times were tough. And so I grew up in this kind of a boy's tomboyish way as a child. And I really didn't understand femininity, frankly, until I went to work at Vacation Village at about 24 years old. And the, um, the gentleman, Martin Blatt's wife, Linda Blatt, took me under her wing and she taught me actually how to how to be a, a feminine woman and yet still have the strength that you needed to compete. And one thing that Martin always told me as he would take me to board meetings with him so that I'd understand how it all worked and they were all men at the time, he'd always say, I want you to have a seat at the table and I wanted to be at the head of the table. And that just rang so true with me as I was growing up and growing into the, into the industry and getting on nonprofit boards um, because he believed in giving back to the community and that was my DNA as well. So that's why I, to this day, I sit on several boards of directors and work hard. I think it's important for those of us who have the time and talent and the and the treasury for, to some degree to, uh, to be there and help others, especially is- education. I 
was going to ask you to what are some of your uh, your passion projects or your your places of giving today? San Diego State University is probably the primary one. Go Aztecs. <laughs> go Aztecs. I never had the opportunity to go to college. And so when I moved to San Diego, um, my best friend ever was Joyce Gaddis, and she was dean of one of the colleges there. And she really introduced me to university life, and she got me involved in lots of different things. And I met an entrepreneur and um, that wanted to start a, a hospitality and tourism management program because why not in San Diego? And his name was Bob Payne. And Bob said to me, um, if you'll get the industry together, I will do the financial side. And that's what we did. We called all the general managers in towns and a lot of the supplier partners to the industry and got them in a room and said, look, we want to start this hospitality and tourism management program at San Diego State. And in order to do that, we're going to need your expertise because we have to find a director um, and we have to get the okay of the college. Well, fortunately, the president, Steve Weber at the time, thought it was a grand idea and he supported us. And we hired a man named Carl Winston from the industry and um, which was a challenge because he didn't have a PhD. And at the time, the directors of the colleges were supposed to, but again, Steve supported us and said, we don't have PhDs in our industry. I think we have just a few now, but you learn through working. You don't really learn in those days through college. And so we started this program and now it's wildly successful and it's, it's been recreated in other cities through other colleges. And so we're very proud of that. And you're familiar with it, Anthony. I am. I am familiar with it. And I'm, I'm becoming more and more entrenched in it. Uh, I've been teaching in, this, in, in the certification uh, area for a couple of years now. But as you know, next month, I will start on my master's in events and meetings, meetings and events. And um, I'm looking forward to, I think at this point in my life, it's going to help me to redirect some of my focus and also challenge me a bit uh, because you do get to a certain point in life when you feel like, okay, you've sort of seen it and done it. And there are some things still ahead that I'd like to try to do. Uh, and knowledge is king, knowledge is power. I wish I realized this when I was in college. I didn't know who I was then, you know, it was too much. Other, but now I realize, you know, that the focus is on just gaining knowledge and, the more I know, the more, you know, the better I'll be, hopefully. Hopefully. You'll be hope fine. For. You'll Thank be fine. You. And, and you'll absorb it in a different way. I, I'm hoping so. The great people behind it, Terry Brining, mm -hmm. as you know, is still involved there. And uh, I, I'm just really looking forward to engaging. It, it's, it's going to be an interesting ride for 18 months and, and still running my business and sitting on boards like you, uh, nonprofit boards, and uh, it's gonna be a lot, but you know, it's there's one life, right? Give it all you got. That's right. Give it I, all you I'm got. I'm not gonna lie, I've been thinking about you and thinking what, I sometimes wonder, Anthony, how you do all you do. Now I really wonder, how are you gonna, I know you will, because you succeed at everything you touch, but. Well, uh, thank you, that's. 
hardly the case. Thank you. It's not hardly the case. I've known you a long time. It's not hardly the case. Busy people learn to fit busy things into their lives. They just compartmentalize their brains and their time. And sometimes you have to let things go. Or you say, I know I've been on your board a long time, but I, I can no longer do that, but I'll be on a committee. With me, when I joined a nonprofit, it was generally because they needed somebody to do their events. And I was an event person. Uh, but now, of course, it's, it's different. Now, it's more um, the business mind and how you put people together and how you reach out into the industry and how you reach out in, into the United States, into the globe. I, mean, I, was, I belong to an international organization of companies like mine, and we met all over the world. And it was so interesting how different we handle things doing the exact same thing. And it was an education for, for I think, both sides uh, as to how we handle the same client base. So I think belonging to organizations is important because you give back, but you often, no matter how long you've been in the industry, and Anthony will attest to this, you learn something with everything you do. And if you don't, you're not doing it right. Right. So what do you miss? What do you miss? Because you're retired now, well, in a in a very busy way. But yeah. what do you miss about, you know, being at the helm of PRA in those days? I miss the people in some ways, but not so much now because we have Zoom. Right. And I can stay in touch with, with longtime um, employees and 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 supplier partners and talk about what life is like. And I also mentor, I mentor students and that, that makes me stay active. That makes me stay in the game because they're 50 years younger than I am. And yet they sit and they'll listen and ask questions. And, and uh, I think that's important. I think we can never stop giving or stop learning. And that, that's a big charge for me. And I also have some other nonprofits that have nothing to do with education, uh, San Diego Police Foundation and Girl Scouts. I did mm. a lot with the Girl Scouts. Um, and, and so it's a question of picking and choosing where you wanna give back and you're the same way and how much time you can, you can give. And with some other organizations, you don't have to give very much because you know so much and you can help them so quickly. Right. I think I'm just beginning to approach that point in my life when I'll say things that seem just common sense to me, but it's real information and it's meaningful. So I hope to have more of those moments in my life. That's a great thing, you know, because you want to help at the end of the day, right? And there's not a lot of time and energy. So when you're able to come up with answers or have suggestions, that are meaningful and can make have an impact. That's that's what this is about, right? It's how it's, you want to like live out your legacy. It is what it's about, and you always know when you've gotten there. When there's you're talking with someone and you say something, and there's an aha moment in their or, face. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Exactly. It feels so good. <laughs> and you just know they're gonna remember that, and they're writing and taking mm -hmm. notes, and yeah. yeah. 
you know, they tell us in this, in business, not you don't take it personally. That's something I think we all grew up hearing. But in our business, we forge relationships with people, friendships, and as you just said, reaching out to colleagues and employees. So what is your take on taking business personally? And is it something that we do? What, you know, are there pitfalls? How did you handle, you know, taking things personally when you were at the helm of PRA? I will tell you one quick story. I had been in business a while and I was uh, involved in these international organizations and I was very full of myself. And there's an annual show that we all go to in Chicago every year where uh, it's a trade show and we meet our clients there and they get to meet us and we have a booth and I had all my people. And at the time I had several offices. Well, one of my first clients uh, with a company called Business Incentives out of Minneapolis. I'll never forget this. He said to me, can we, can we talk for a minute? Well, this man had helped me grow my business. And I said, well, of course, Earl, of course we can. And we went off to the side and he found two chairs off to the side of the trade show. And he sat there and we chatted and he asked me how he was doing. And he said to me, um, uh, I am going to tell you something and I want you to, to really listen to me. Okay. And he said, you have got to get back into your business. I was so busy with, with the board meetings and the international travel I was doing in the industry. And I was letting very talented people that work for me run the business. But I wasn't making calls on clients anymore. And that was a reckoning for me. I actually was very emotional and I really thought a long time about that. And I got back in the game. I got back with my sales teams and I started making calls on our longtime clients. And we would go to Minneapolis and St. Louis in January and talk about what San Diego was like as a destination. Anyone who's been in the Midwest and understands why that's such a big deal. And we bring a little sunshine into the office. And so I started doing that again. And, it, and I th think it made a profound difference, certainly in, the, in my business, but in me as an employer uh, and as, as someone who so loved their clients and was told, you better shape up. <laughs> I was very, very hard. Wow. Lesson learned. You took it's really to amazing that you, number one, there was somebody there by your side willing to have that conversation with you, but that you were willing to hear it. That's the mark of a successful person. Thank you. That's, that's quite an observation because he easily could have gone to any of a number of other companies like right. mine without saying a word. But that's the kind of respect, fortunately, we had in the business. And that's an important thing for people to remember because the instant sort of reaction is to become defensive and to start making excuses. I mean, that's what people do. So to be able to calm your mind and say, okay, I have to hear this. I have to listen. And, and you are very, very conscientious about your response to that as well uh, to ensure that 
you didn't put off that you you were put off by this information that you you allowed it to come forth and then you thought about it we too often jump quickly when when people are telling us something that we don't want to hear and you benefited from it and grew your business i'm sure to new heights based on that uh got more clients new clients i'm sure of it so that's the lesson right listen go ahead yeah part of that is because I was a woman and in business and one of the first women in a lot of boardrooms. And I was on the board of, an, of a, a bank and I walked in and I was probably 20 years younger than most of the board members. They were all male. Mm -hmm. And I realized I had to prove myself and I knew I could because again, I understood a lot about the male thinking just from the way I grew up. But nonetheless, I really had to bite my tongue often because I felt like they were speaking down to me, but it didn't take long. I think, I think my advice to women when they go into that kind of a situation, there's fortunately less and less of it, is just to listen, be prepared, know it, what's going on, be prepared probably more than everyone else in the room, the males in the room, certainly. And uh, also when you speak, make sure you get the attention of the room because people talk over you. Mm -hmm. Don't let that happen. Even if it means standing up and saying, I believe I have the floor. And you only have to do that once. Mm -hmm. and, and people understand that that you're there for a reason and you're not there just to waste everybody's time. But again, you have to be twice as prepared. And uh, I still see it to some degree out there, but less and less as young women are not um, allowing that to happen anymore, nor are their parents, nor are their grandparents, because so what, we all grew up in that. So what gives you the fortitude? What gives you the, the strength? to walk into a ballroom, into a boardroom with all male boardroom, 20 year senior, your senior. There's gotta be a confidence, a, a, you know, or, or is it, a, is it a, a peaceful feeling of, I got this, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the right place. You said something clicked when, uh, when Martin said he wanted you at the head of the table, something felt right to you, right? So. Mm -hmm. that um, walk in confidently be prepared um i enjoy being around men i enjoy being in our room women too but at the time they, they were men and i know how they think and i also understand sports and there's always talk about sports mm. and i have a pretty good sense of humor and i'm not afraid to show it and I think that um, the fact that I respected that they were there and they had to respect that I was there is part of it. Mm. And we, I, I knew a woman who's passed away now. Her name was Midge Costanza. And Midge was the first woman in the West Wing under Jimmy Carter. And she was a feisty New Yorker. Um, and she was on the bank board with me and she guided me through so much of this. She taught me how to, how to speak to groups, how to do presentations, because that was 
her talent. But she also uh, talked to me about how to be an equal. You, you have to know you're an equal. In your mind, you're an equal. And you, you have that persona. Um, and for a while, in the old days, I thought I had to dress like, like the boys. And so I had these dark suits and everything. And she said to me, you got to show your feminine side because they'll figure out how smart you are. But the fact that you can, you can go in and talk about anything and understand anything and talk about their kids and um, you and just have to be and, yeah. anything. Sport, you have to right. be, be willing to do that. And the other thing that I always tell young women is stay and young men stay up with the times at the time it was make sure you read the paper every day. Well, now you go online and you can get all the news you want, but know what's going on in the world. Because if you're going to be with a client, read about their industry, find out what they're about, what, what, what is going on. And look at Pfizer, look at um, what's going on in, in electric vehicles, all these things now understand where these people are coming from. The fact that you want their business, that'll happen. But that's not what you go in talking about. How is your day to day? I just read in the paper that. How is your board handling this? All of a sudden, they're looking at you like an equal, and not necessarily like just someone who wants their business. I love that. You know, talk about a little aha moment. Um, learn how to be an equal, and I think as a mom to a sixteen-year-old girl, that's a really great way of phrasing it. Thank you for that. I'm going to take that away with me. Mm. I, I will tell you a mom's story. Uh, I have a wonderful uh, stepson who's 40, who I've had since he was two. And I remember when he was about 12 or 13, I was working really, really long hours. And I dragged in one day about eight o'clock at night. And he was, he was a very tall kid. And he was lying on the floor in front of the fireplace, kind of reading a book. And I walked in and I threw my briefcase down. I was so tired. And he looked at me and he said, oh, are you still living here? <laughs> so when you talk about life's balance, you got to have, whether you're, I don't care what gender you are, <laughs> you have to have a balance in life and you can't let that get ahead of you. Well, thank you for bringing that up because mm -hmm. that is something that we've been talking a little bit more about is how to balance this crazy, wonderful, crazy industry with life and maintaining sanity and a positive attitude and a healthy attitude. Uh, and it's not always easy. And it's, it's nice to hear how other people do that. I also have a longtime partner in my life, Jim Tiffany, and Jim and I met years and years ago, and he was actually a client for, I think I did one program for him. Um, and we realized over time that it was going to be more than just a business relationship. And so we morphed into a personal relationship. And it's always interesting when you're living with someone who does the same thing that you do or was a client or whatever. And I remember I would come home from having a client meeting or something and I would just be furious and he'd have to calm me down. And 
I always shared things with him because I knew that that was important. So who you and how you surround yourself with people and allow them to see your frustrations and know that they will understand uh, and talk about it. That's, that's really key. So I've been fortunate in my lifetime to have important, important people in my life that way. And, and Jim's a Swedish, he's sweet, sweet, sweet Irishman. <laughs> yes. yes, and his book is going to the publisher. I'm so happy. Oh, good, 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 good. He was still finishing that up when I saw you last. Yes, today we, actually I wrote a blurb for Amazon for him. Great. So I'm excited about that. I have to ask you, if you, if you were to, this is like, it, you were, you're gonna have to think about this. If you were to open up a destination management company today, looking forward, what are some of the things you might be thinking about? That is a, such a good question because clients have so much access to information. And even as I was winding down out of the business, I realized that I would be proposing something and they had already looked it up on the internet and they had all of these ideas about how it would work. Well, they didn't know my city and they didn't know what we have to offer. They didn't know what worked and what didn't work. I had a client that wanted to take over Balboa Park because, oh, well, it's a city park. <laughs> and this is now there's a way to do it. But right. then forget it. You right. just even though I was very involved in local politics, it just wasn't going to happen. But we actually did do that, I think, for the All-Star game. Anyway, there was occasion when we could get things done, but it was something First, that the whole city was involved. Correct. City events. And I was just right. helping with the event side. They're very protective about that park. Still, to this day, you can you can get portions, but it's still a city park and it belongs to the residents And you know, to this day. And the tidelands are that way as well, the, mm -hmm. along, along, along San Diego Harbor. And I think we have to be. It's important that we have events that showcase the city. Torrey Pines Golf Tournament's a perfect, mm -hmm. perfect example. We could not afford that kind of advertising that we had in those, day, in those four days or that week. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have to be very protective be, because you, things can get overused. And we have to ensure that we have the investment capital to be able to keep our parks up and our tidelands up and our city looking good. And fortunately, we have a, a mayor right now who's very, uh, very in tune with that. And he's, he's working hard to balance that along with some of the other challenges we have in the city that many cities have, like our homeless issue um, and just the infrastructure issues. Yeah, every city has them. I I was thinking about uh, the business now moving forward myself, and my thought is that the focus now on anybody in our our world is on their their ability to create content and their ability to create their creativity, how they can mastermind an experience rather than their knowledge of a city or their knowledge of or or their plethora of artists that they have. Because like you just said, so much is accessible today 
So it's less about who we know and more about how we can pull together something that's meaningful. That's sort of my thought on how we're moving forward with the sort of proliferation of knowledge and everybody knowing how to get everyone and, you know, it, clients becoming more savvy. What are your clients, thoughts? Clients certainly are more savvy, but they still don't live in the city. And that's the key. Unless, of course, they do live in the city. <laughs> and there are corporate headquarters here now, and we never used to have them. True, true. Um, because it seems like, oh, San Diego is such a nice place. It'll be so easy to do things. And Mexico is so close and we can get across the border, no problem. And let's go to Disneyland because it's probably only an hour away. And all, and you mm. really have to listen and be patient and then talk about the reality of doing things in San Diego, right. where we are very protective again of how, mm. how things are done. And we're getting more and more so. So it, it is our job to not only mind feel them through all of that, but also to be very creative on what they're trying to do. I always approached a client with the question is, what are you trying to do? If it's a program where they're rewarding their people, what are they rewarding them for? If it's a big association, what's their big issue of the day? Um, and it, it, could, it could be anything. It could be a new car showing. It could be a new pharma product. It could be a new um, uh, agricultural way of doing business. So what is it you're trying to do? And then how do I help you in the destination with that particular, particular need? I know what our destination had. I can create a program today, even though I've been gone a long time. But we had a, a, a agricultural group years and years ago, and they had an issue. Uh, it, we called them seed and feed companies. They would, <laughs> they had seeds and feeds, and so we took them out to Imperial Valley, and we met with the Imperial Valley Agricultural Organization, and this was a company out of the Midwest, and it was so great for them. Again access wasn't as easy then as it was, but they actually got to sit and talk to people who did what they did in Southern California in a very, very different way. And yet they produced the same kind of a product. And that's the kind of thinking that we have to go into a meeting with a client with what are you trying to achieve and let us help you achieve it with what we know we have here in the region. What experts do we have? We have a plethora of universities who can talk, professors can talk about anything. We have, and they're international in scope. And so using those resources out there um, and giving them, giving these professors a stipend that they can use in their, in their programs or their colleges, that's, that's, that's an aha moment for them because everyone knows how hard it is to fund education mm -hmm. for the, for uh, people who actually teach and, and, um, run programs you you almost have to be somebody who uh, is able to make connections and seize possible connections to be successful right because you're bringing people together and uh, introducing ideas that somebody may not have had before and uh and to do that you're 
you said it, you get to know the need, you get to know the client, you understand their, their touch points and their, their hot buttons, because that's how you can provide them with meaning in the program that you, that you present to them and handle for them. That's, that's true, Anthony. As, as you were saying that, I was thinking back to some programs um, where I needed to have security for whatever reason, because there were, they may, these companies were producing a product that many segment of, a, of our population didn't believe in. And so they were going to pick it and they were going to have all sorts of horrible things happen. So the fact that I was so involved with the police foundation and knew, um, worked with the, the, our police and I worked with the sheriff and I worked with the Coast Guard and I, 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 I worked with all of the law enforcement agency, FBI, uh, on their Citizens Academy. And I was able to call and say, this could be a potential problem. And again, we didn't have the kind of communication we, we mm. did then that we do now. But it was so helpful. Uh, at one point, I actually had to have... Um, police presence at the building that I was in on Broadway because again, wow. it was a product that wasn't popular among a population segment and they were going to come down and they were going to uh, uh, cause problems in the neighborhood. And my building then was on a residential street. It was on Broadway, but it was in a residential neighborhood of Golden Hill. Mm -hmm. um, and so the fact that I was involved in the community so much, I was able to make a call and say, I really need your help. I think it was Bill Collender then. Chief, mm -hmm. I really need your help. Um, and I explained it to them and it wasn't anything he wouldn't have done for another citizen if he realized there was going to be a danger out there. And so it was quelled. I mean, you just right. have, you have a, a law enforcement presence show up and people, most people, realize, okay, I need to calm this down. Unfortunately, not so much in other cities, but we're still that way in San Diego. You, you, had, you created access for yourself and your involvement. You had access. I'm wondering how important you would say those uh, building relationships is in a career and knowing, knowing people. Oh, I think you, ha you have to. I mean, how could you not? I guess if if you were a scientist at, at Salk, really working on a classified project, and, and I've met some of those people, not so much. They, they don't want to talk about what they do. They don't really want to reach out other than in the scientific community. But when you do the kinds of work that you and I did with clients who really want whatever you have to offer in the way of special activities or events or access to whatever might interest them in town. You have to, you have to know people and you get to know people because you get on volunteer committees, you get on their boards. You, um, I remember at 9-11, um, which was horrendous for everybody. And I, I had programs around the country then it was just horrible. And I got a call from Herb Klein, who at the time was publisher at the Union Tribune and Dick Murphy was our mayor. And Herb said, can you come to the office? I said, of course I will. Um, 
because he and the mayor wanted to talk to me. And mind you, I had all of these clients all over the country trying to get home after, after this horrendous issue we had. And what Herb and the mayor wanted to do, when this was about a week after, I think, they wanted to have a day of remembrance. They wanted to have a day that all San Diegans could come together in Balboa Park and heal. And they wanted my company to do it. So I went back to the office and I said to my really weary staff, look, this is what we're gonna do. And every single one of them, and it was on a Sunday, every single one of them said, absolutely. And I think we had about 12,000 people in the park that day. And it wow. was, do you remember that, Anthony? I was, sure do. You, you, I, I sang God Bless America, I think, because of PRA. That's right, you yeah. did. I still have a photo of that day. Yeah, it was very memorable. It was beautiful. We had, we had politicians, of course, mm -hmm. um, but we had uh, spiritual leaders. We had Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts. We had, we had such a cross section mm -hmm. of the city and each of them spoke some, for the most part, they kept to their three to five minutes. And uh, it was probably one of the most rewarding things on a volunteer basis I've ever, ever done, ever experienced, just standing there listening to, to this and realizing that the crowd that came in a state of agitation, all of a sudden there was this calmness over everyone and they, they could go back and, and live through a really tough time, but somehow they had some peace of mind with it all. It's really something. Still remember that day. You know, I, I wanted to ask you as well, and you, you've already said it. I want to ask you about volunteering and how important it is to volunteer from a career point of view. Uh, because I'm, I'm always recommending it to students, find a place to volunteer. And it always feels to me like I'm sort of, you know, not giving them the best option because people want to be paid. But there is such value to volunteering. So would you speak on it from a career point of view? Absolutely. If we didn't volunteer, how would nonprofits and how would some organizations exist? And Yes, I understand, especially students, that they want paid internships. But I always say, get in there and show them what you're made of and see if you can work your way into a paid internship. It happens. Plus, look at all the experience you're going to gain from all these really smart business people uh, in whatever field it is. So I, I firmly believe in volunteering at no surprise to you. I, th I think we need, again, to give back the talents that we have. And they're, they're pretty specific talents in order to put together a group of 200 or 2,000 and move them around the city or move them in an, in an activity and make sure they're safe and make sure that they have the right kind of uh, services around them. Even if it's something as simple as you've got you know, 1,500 people coming to the to waterfront to do an event. Are you going to have the Red Cross there? Are you going to have an ambulance there? Are you going to have services there? 
who knows what could happen? Make sure make sure law enforcement knows what's going on. Um, make sure all the tenants in the area who might be disturbed by the noise, make sure they know what's going on. There's so much to think about. Um, and volunteers learn how to do that when they get involved with something, no matter what it is, what, whatever kind of business it is. It could be an architectural firm. They're going to learn how the architects got to be where they are. They're going to learn what kind of schooling they need. They're going to learn whether they want to do residential or whether they want to do high-rise buildings. They're going to just understand what they're getting into, or maybe they don't like it and they decide I'm going to go in another direction. And that saves them a lot of grief and a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And it's a great way to get to get into situations or circumstances where you would not normally have a purview, you know, have purview working with bigger clients or being involved on a project that is so, you know, has such big scope that, you know, where you might not ordinarily do that, that there's so much information to be gleaned from those kinds of experiences, not only what you know, you might learn, but what just happens, you know, that you would have missed if you hadn't been there and volunteered. Years and years and years ago, you may remember this, we had part of the Olympics in town. This is, I can't remember how many years ago, but, and I volunteered because I wanted to be part of an Olympic event with mm -hmm. these marvelous elite athletes. And uh, I learned so much from that, even though I, I ran a business and I knew what I was doing. But to really understand what it takes to get where they are in their life uh, and in their career and what happens if they get hurt and how do they train and if they have children, how do they deal with that? And uh, so, yes, I, I believe in volunteering and in anything that that comes along that uh, you can handle in your life and that would that would help you and whatever age i think the seniors that are volunteering now are great well you just said something that to me is very important that when you're volunteering no matter what it is there's a certain level of compassion that you get from that or you need to have to do that and when you absorb that and you act compassionately you learn to take that out into every aspect of your life. And the world needs that. The world needs more compassion and understanding. So I Alex, think that's something to be learned from that. Alex, that's, that's so true. Um, Jim and I, for a long time, when it first started, volunteered at the Monarch School. I love the Monarch School. That's very near and dear to my heart. Well, we were early, early on. And it was um, when Sandra McBrayer was still taking kids from out from the underpass and putting her in this, putting them in a class and giving them showers and teaching them and and to watch where it has become today and um, know that we helped some of those kids get out of the horrible situation they were in. I still, to this day, keep in touch with one of them mm. um, who now is a, a a mom and has a wonderful life. Yes, so yes, we need to volunteer, and and um, and it's great that so many of the seniors volunteer and interacting with some of those kids, mm -hmm. because I think 
a lot of them don't have parents and grandparents that care yes. or they don't have them period. And so now all of a sudden there's someone in their life who bakes cookies for them or takes them to a ball game or does whatever. Listens. So yeah, I think it's important that we volunteer in something. Cannot agree more. And uh, we'll continue to give back as long as we can, right? As long as, as, long as there's life in these old bones. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to play a little game with you. We call this or that. Very simply, I'll ask you whether you like this or that. You tell us. I'll give you 10, 10 this or that questions. You'll tell us which you like best. On one occasion, you can say, I'd like both. And on one occasion, you can say, mm, I wouldn't like either. Okay, 10 questions. Okay. Are you ready, Patty Roscoe? I am ready, Anthony Blada. Question number one. <laughs> Bailey's Irish Cream or Grand Meunier? Yum. <laughs> <laughs> and together, they're even better. I could, Is that a both? I'm going to say it's a both. Yes. And you know, you're Patty Roscoe. So if you want another both, you get it. Thank you. you. Right now. Thank you. Okay. Mountains or beaches? Mountains. Mm. I live in the beach. Mm. Mm. Movies or theater? Theater. Mm. Porch party or pool party? I didn't hear that. Porch party or pool party? Porch party. Mm -hmm. French fries or tater tots? French fries. Mm -hmm. I think we share crispy. French fries. Yeah, crispy. Yeah, crispy, crispy, crispy. With vinegar. Crispy. With yes. vinegar. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and ketchup. Crispy, <laughs> we don't Going want out to dinner with you. Yes. <laughs> Money or fame? Fame. Frank Sinatra or Tony Bennett? <gasps> both. Mm, oh, I it. did a both, didn't you I? A, that's it. There you, no more boats left. I'm sorry. Even you, Patty Roscoe. We have limits. Uh, vacation Village or Paradise Point? Vacation Village. Mm. So for those of you who don't know, Paradise Point is Vacation Village. Yes. Uh, Vin Diesel or Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Vin Diesel or Dwayne? Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. Mm. There was no hesitation there. I know. There certainly was no, right? not. No hesitation. Last one. Working full-time or retirement? Retirement. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Been there, done the other. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Patty, thank you so, so much for taking time out of your day and for being such a big part of my life and the growth of my company and the PRA has been one of those forces in our world that has uh, been one that we've respected and, and admired and uh, have always felt good about being a partner too. So thank you. Anthony and Alex, thank you for inviting me and to all my wonderful PRA team out there around the world who might hear this. Thank you for, for the legacy that you have left with PRA. Thank you for your legacy and for making the industry better than it was when you got here. Thank you. Thanks, Anthony. Just gave me chills. Just didn't mm -hmm. say that. Wow. It was great to have Patty with us. Um, as you can tell, Alex, she's so knowledgeable uh, and such a presence still in the industry, even though she's been retired for a dozen years now 
I mean, I, you know, woman power and not to be disrespectful or take anything away from anybody, but it's so nice to see somebody forge that way at a time when it, it's never really easy, but at a time when it really wasn't easy and to do it with such grace and power and success. To the point where city officials uh, are asking Patty for her participation and her insight and input when, uh, when it's necessary. And she, she's very well respected in the industry and in the community uh, for being so mindful and, you know, helping to forge new ways. You know, she talks about, she talked a little bit about, you know, uh, needing an ambulance and the security and having the wherewithal to be able to put events together. But what we didn't really talk about was the fact that when she was doing it, there were no protocols. There were no, there was no infrastructure in place to manage those types of events. The, all of that had to be built and all of that had to be built. That doesn't get built unless a city recognizes the importance financially of building that kind of infrastructure and making the city one in which people want to come because for events, not just, you know, for the recreational travel, but to bring a meeting. Mm -hmm. It's infrastructure, it's service, it's, it's guiding the community to understand the value of that business and to service it as a community so that people come back, right? Yes. Because it's not just what I do or what you do or what the DMC yep. does or the hotel. It's what we all do. It's cumulative. It's cumulative. What a tough word it to is say. cumulative. Cumulative. So it's Patty and the likes of Andrea Michaels who helped develop these protocols and Dr. Joe Jeff, who mm -hmm. we spoke with, um, that helped cities and communities underst understand what's necessary to bring big events in and how best to service them and manage them. So we have a lot to be thankful for. Yes where Patty Roscoe is concerned. And, and what's great is that we will be hearing from her again. Uh, there's some announcements that we're hoping will happen in the next few days regarding Comic-Con, and we're gonna have Patty back to talk about that. Hey. So thank you, Patty, right? Yes. Uh, and so we say goodbye. Uh, Alex, final words. You know, they say learn something new every day, right? So today I did, and that is, from the wonderful Patty Roscoe, learn how to be an equal. I am going to take that away with me for the rest of my life. Good. I'm glad. That's great. Um, and, you know, learning something every day means your mind is open to learn, which is a great thing. Me, on the other hand, I'm just going to go eat some ice cream. I'm done for the day. It's already 2.50. <laughs> no, seriously. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please, please, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please give us five stars. And uh, please let your friends know that you're listening to us. We will be here and we will be square and we will see you again. Thank you for joining us.